Welcome to the Deep and Durable Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gray, a veteran of nearly 45 years in higher education. My goal has always been to transmit my love of learning to as many people as possible, and this podcast is one vehicle to do that. In my teaching career, I taught biology to over 10,000 students. Many of them remarked that I taught them how to think. This podcast aims to do the same for my listeners. Join me for Season 5, which will develop your ability to ask the kinds of questions that lead to deep and durable learning. Every area of human endeavor is an outworking of a way of thinking. We all default to a particular way of thinking. It's not mandatory, however, that we embrace and show facility within only a single way of thinking. Learning at its deepest and most satisfying is learning multiple ways of thinking. When I speak of a way of thinking, I'm not talking about accumulating inert facts about a wide variety of topics. The goal is not to be a walking encyclopedia. I'd go so far as to say that encyclopedic knowledge is for encyclopedias or Wikipedia. We invented these collections to house information. Information, however, is not knowledge. Humans were designed to embrace the pursuit of knowledge in all its forms. Knowledge is justifiable belief. The quality of our justification narrative shows whether we're repeating what we were told or whether we have made the logic our own. A high-quality justification narrative is durable. It is not derailed by questions. Questions, in fact, push the narrative to deeper and more satisfying levels of explanation. The learning theorist Jerome Brunner put it this way in 1966, quote, Knowledge is a process, not a product, end of quote. The process of becoming knowledgeable about something starts from a point of view. We purposely adopt a perspective. We can switch between perspectives, but at any one time we can only indwell one particular perspective. This is a limitation of our finite humanity. The writer Madeline Langle said it succinctly, quote, I have a point of view. You have a point of view. God has a view. End of quote. Maturing as a learner means being able to look at the same situation from different perspectives, albeit one at a time. The net result of such facility is to see with greater clarity, that is, closer to reality. Unfortunately, many adults are stuck in a single perspective and are unable, or perhaps unwilling, to consider alternative ways of looking at the same issue. We've all heard the truism, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, every problem is a nail. 
Truth be told, many of us wield our hammers on problems that would be more likely to yield to a screwdriver or a pair of pliers. I witnessed this hammer-and-nail fixation last summer when I conversed with an Englishman who was on holiday in Scotland. He was intrigued to be talking to an American and even more delighted when he found that metrication has never really succeeded in the USA. Metrication, if you're not familiar with the term, refers to converting systems of measurement to the metric system. My Englishman couldn't understand why we needed meters when we had a perfectly good unit called the yard, or why we needed kilometers when a mile had stood the test of time. This exchange went on for a while, and his wife was a bit embarrassed by it all. On one level, I sympathized. After all, I had to do a bit of mental juggling in Scotland where distances are in kilometers and gas is sold by the leader. Unlike my Englishman, however, I am a scientist, and I can give ample justification for the benefits of metric units of measurement in the lab and in field work. I can look at this issue from different perspectives, and it keeps me from being a dogmatist. Point of view is the most basic aspect of a way of thinking. In a real sense, it determines or influences everything else about that way of thinking. With some types of problems, point of view may allow a person to opt out of thinking at all, at least for people who are tied to one perspective. For a person who cares nothing for football and has no desire to learn, the journey of little TCU to the college football championship against the Georgia juggernaut is irrelevant, and so is the January fascination with who will contend in the Super Bowl. There will be no appetite in such a person to talk about quarterbacks, running backs, or receivers, nor whether defense or offense will be decisive in a particular game. The recent near-fatal cardiac arrest of DeMar Hamlin during an NFL game has generated renewed discussion about the violence of American football. Various stakeholders have spoken out from different perspectives. The NFL itself has been in damage control mode and has sought to express a concerned humanity which extended to the cancellation of the Bengals versus Bills game on January 2, 2023. Some question whether football can be made safer, as well as whether the NFL is really interested in this question. My point here is not to debate the question, but to point out that the various stakeholders operate from different points of view. That puts them on a path to very different conclusions on the same question. There are also outsiders who have no special interest in the question. When a problem is presented that does intersect a person's training and interest, there's a tendency for that to result in an unhelpful tunnel vision. In some individuals, there will be a superficial recognition of other perspectives, but not necessarily understanding unless there is an empathetic desire to see what the other person is seeing. Take as an example the emergence of generative AI, AI being artificial intelligence, 
and in particular, the form of AI called ChatGPT, which became famous last fall. ChatGPT can produce polished paragraphs of information and logical argument based on a simple prompt from the user. To Luddites, there's nothing to see. Or, alternatively, it confirms that computers are intrinsically evil. Full stop. To many teachers, ChatGPT represents an almost uncontrollable form of plagiarism. Produces essays and even computer codes submitted by students, and they didn't write it at all. There are other voices urging educators to alter their instructional and assessment methods, as if that's easy, in order to give place to a technology that just isn't going to go away. Their argument is that spelling and grammar checkers were once viewed with horror, and now they're an accepted part of writing. Nearly everyone lets their smartphones suggest words during texting. Emails, LinkedIn messaging, you name it, they all suggest responses that will save us time. ChatGPT, they say, is just a more sophisticated form of the same thing. Viewpoint sets the direction of the thinking, but it's allied with and reinforced by motivation. Why is the individual looking at a question or a problem from a particular perspective? Perhaps the choice of perspective is due to their training, that is, their expertise. Perhaps their viewpoint is unconscious and determined by their upbringing or the culture they are embedded in. We would rightly call this a bias, but is expertise also a bias? Unexamined bias is a hindrance to truth-seeking. I say unexamined bias because we're all biased. We all reflexively look at an issue in a certain way. Bias is something to recognize and to attempt to balance through a disciplined approach that wants to see the issue from other perspectives, especially those with which we disagree. Fair-mindedness seeks to understand how our opponents view an issue, what motivates them to see it that way, and what the logical structure of their arguments is. Fair-mindedness means we can explain to an opponent their perspective, motivation, and logic in terms that they would agree with and not in an oversimplified caricature of their position. If we can do this, and we still believe our perspective and position is stronger and closer to the truth, so be it. Sometimes, however, fair-mindedness will reveal flaws in our thinking, and we may actually change our minds. That's what learning is all about. Learning is conceptual change. Doubling down due to bias is a sure recipe to ensure that we do not change because we will not learn. In the NFL situation I mentioned a few minutes ago, the NFL has a vested financial interest in maintaining the game in a form that fans have already shown their loyalty to. Baseball may be America's pastime, but 
Football commands a far larger fan base. Football generates billions of dollars more yearly revenue than baseball does. With strong revenue comes a strong desire to maintain the status quo. This includes looking the other way or foot-dragging regarding the violence of the game. So say even some football diehards, including some football coaches. Money and power are strong motivators, but for that matter, so are upbringing and political affiliation. In the chat GPT situation, there's also money and power motivation. OpenAI, the parent company that produced ChatGPT, is largely financed by Microsoft and runs on Microsoft's hardware since artificial intelligence requires enormous computing resources. Microsoft has a deal that will allow them to use ChatGPT in a future implementation of their Bing search engine. Although Google currently has about 85% of the worldwide search engine market, This possibility has motivated Google to call back its retired founders to push the development of their own AI initiative. Don't expect any of these players to second-guess themselves in seriously considering the downside of AI. They want to make AI more powerful. The downside of AI is a concern of educators who are trying to teach students to think and who use student writing as a significant developmental tool. Ethicists are also stakeholders who are concerned with issues like plagiarism, intellectual property rights, propaganda, and manipulation. Could it be that AI will become the new tool of choice to replace existing search engines which merely point to URLs that we then have to follow up on? I mean, ChatGPT's output is in succinctly written paragraphs that summarize the answer to a user prompt. Maybe ChatGPT-style answers will become the new standard. It's too early to tell. It's important to look at the artificial intelligence issue from as many perspectives as possible, and to consider what motivates each viewpoint. What is each mindset trying to accomplish? That sums up what I mean by motivation. Learning progresses through a focus on good questions. That's really the essence of this whole season of podcasts, but it's Central here, at the very outset. Good questions, direct thinking, challenge thinking, improve thinking. Each perspective or mindset has been adopted to try and answer a group of questions. Motivation is really an impulse that seeks clarifying answers to those questions. It's crucial here to discard inappropriate questions. Inappropriate questions may be very good questions. Indeed, what makes them inappropriate is that they belong in someone else's thinking domain. Most university faculty have neither the expertise 
nor the interest to ask questions about how AI works. That's a question for the computer programmers. People who write code want to know how to improve code. AI, however, is trained on a large group of documents. The larger, the better, so the thinking goes. But it's already been demonstrated that ChatGPT sometimes uses fringe viewpoints within that large document base to produce propaganda and even pornography. Should AI training materials be inclusive of all viewpoints, even vulgar and repulsive ones that society would condemn? Well, who gets to say? And on what basis? Those are ethical questions. But they're also practical questions that a variety of different viewpoints have some motivation to answer. The issue then becomes whether a given knowledge domain is really equipped to add substance to a multi-dimensional answer. Probably all my listeners claim one or more areas of expertise, whether by dint of formal training or years of practical experience. Each of these areas of expertise represents a way of thinking that you find satisfying. Satisfying because it provides good answers to questions that you care about. The fact that you care is your motivation and, I hope, your passion. Passion should propel you further to leverage additional knowledge domains to provide deeper answers. Passion coupled with curiosity is what catalyzes lifelong learning. Point of view, motivation, and questions appropriate to that perspective. That's what we've dealt with today, and those three are what I call the core logic of a way of thinking. You might visualize it as the core of an apple. The core, however, is invisible until you eat the apple. Likewise, we don't often think explicitly about the three elements of thought we've considered today. Point of view, motivation, and questions. But better thinking is self-aware. It does give space to think about these three core elements of thinking. I hope today will help you to be more intentional about where your conclusions are coming from. In two weeks, we'll consider the flesh of the apple, which I call the working layer of thinking. The flesh is why we eat apples. It's also where we spend most of our thought lives. It's where we do most of our actual thinking in pursuit of answering questions. Join me in two weeks as I look at the major working parts of clear thinking. As always, the blog that accompanies this podcast will contain links to my sources. You can find that blog at deepanddurable.com. You can also reach me to ask a question at that same website, deepanddurable.com. Deepanddurable.com.